Fusion, the international science radio show. We have a bouncer and the doors of perception. The good, the bad, the ugly. It gets pretty exciting. The myths, the truths. Toxicology. Astro seismology. Magnetism. The dark side. Genetically engineered potatoes. Planetoid. Planetoid. I love that word. <laughs> <laughs> Hello and welcome to Diffusion. Sit back and relax while we engineer weird and wonderful science irradiated directly into your ears. I am Ian Wolfe. On this edition, Sebastian Chowie and Aaron Salerno talk about their space business, Alula. First up, here's news of the aftermath of those radioactive explosions in Russia and singing fish. Radioactive patients. In a follow-up to the radioactive explosion in Russia that killed five people and hospitalised others last week, the Moscow Times reports that none of the workers at the public hospital, or even the paramedics that brought them in, were informed that the patients coming in naked, wrapped in plastic, were radioactive and that they should protect themselves. However, they were made to sign non-disclosure agreements by Russia's Federal Security Service, the FSB. It's a mystery why the injured military scientists weren't sent to a military hospital. One of the doctors was later found to have cesium-137 in his muscle tissue. Cesium-137 is a radioactive isotope that's a byproduct of the nuclear fission of uranium-235. An expert on the effects of radiation on the body from the University of Leicester in the UK told the Moscow Times that the patients brought to the hospital most likely had high doses of the isotope on their skin. If the doctors had been told what had happened, they would have known to wash the cesium-137 off the patient's skin. But instead, they unknowingly exposed themselves to the radioactive dust. The operating theatre located on a third-floor wing of the hospital, was sealed off for a week. Security service officers visited and deleted all of the records about the radioactive patients. The secrecy continues. The Comprehensive Nuclear Test Ban Treaty Organisation operates 300 seismic, hydroacoustic, infrasound and radioactive particle monitoring stations around the world. Four of their radioactive particle monitoring stations in the local area have stopped reporting since the explosion. Two of the radioactive particle monitoring stations nearest the explosion, called Dubna and Kirov, went quiet a day after the explosion. Another two radioactive particle monitoring stations in the path of the smoke from the explosions went quiet a few days later. A week after the explosion, the Norwegian Radiation and Nuclear Safety Authority said that tiny amounts of radioactive iodine had been detected at an air filter station. Singing fish. An underwater dawn chorus from fish singing in the coastal waters off Port Hedland in Western Australia. Robert McCauley and colleagues at Curtin University in Perth 
recorded fish song over an 18-month period. They identified seven distinct fish choruses, happening at dawn and at dusk. Here's the three fish chorus again. The low foghorn call is made by the black-spotted croaker, while the grunting call comes from a species called pterapontid. The third singer in the chorus is a quieter batfish. Sound plays an important role in fish behaviour, like reproduction, feeding and disputing territory. Nocturnal predatory fish use calls to stay together to hunt, while fish that are active during the day use sound to defend their territory. The recordings were captured by two sea noise loggers. The first, positioned near the Port Headlands shore, and the second, 21.5 kilometres away, in offshore waters, submerged for 18 months. Listening to choruses over a long period of time allows scientists to monitor fish and their ecosystems, particularly in low-visibility waters such as those off Port Headland. The paper was titled, Fish Choruses Off Port Headland, Western Australia, and was published in Bioacoustics, the International Journal of Animal Sound and its recording. You're listening to Ian Wolfe on Diffusion Science Radio. Send emails to science at diffusionradio.com. We're brought to you across Australia on the Community Radio Network and podcast over the internet on www.diffusionradio.com. Space data for sale. Sebastian Chowie has a Bachelor of Engineering. Aaron Salerno has a Bachelor of Law. Together, they formed a space business, Alula. Alula has linked together a network of imaging spacecraft easily accessible to software across the internet. I began by asking them, what is Alula's mission? Alula's mission is to make resources in outer space much more accessible to organisations here on Earth. Ultimately, we believe that there are a lot of opportunities, products and services in orbit right now that could be commoditized and made accessible to people on Earth. We feel this space technology isn't the domain of governments and defence anymore. We feel like the emergence of a commercial industry has empowers a lot of people on Earth to make better decisions. And so what's different about our Lula? Aren't people already accessing satellite imagery online with things like Google Earth? Yeah, that's a great question. There are a lot of different ways to access satellite imagery, but what we found is that it's not comprehensive and a lot of it is very clunky. So to give an, an example of Google Earth, 
Google Earth provides satellite imagery to users for free, but it's very old usually. It's not as comprehensive and you can't get things that are up to date, which means you can't monitor certain locations, you can't analyze the data coming from them, and it's very locked. There are other organizations as well that provide lower resolution types of data. There are other organizations as well that provide it for free, but really Alula is trying to aggregate and combine all of the commercial imagery satellite providers. And by doing that, you make it really, really easy to access data, new data on demand. Google Maps works terrific for navigation and getting around town and things like that and finding places of interest. But the great thing about satellite data is it can really provide insights into a range of things from crop health to asset management. It's a really interesting time to be involved in this with people coming up with new use cases almost every single day. And so providing a variety of data sets, much easier than ever before, we feel like we can create new opportunities. And now, Sebastian, you've been involved in other space startups. So what sparked your interest in this new business? What, was the, what sparked the idea of the need for this? Well, that's a great question, actually. So I ran companies before. One of the companies I'm most known for is called CubeRider, and it was basically a company that provided high school students the opportunity to send experiments to space through NASA. And when I actually ran CubeRider's first mission, I, I sort of helped launch and everything, we realized that there was a lot of waste going on, right? You, you spend hundreds of thousands of dollars sending these payloads, these pieces of hardware to space, and then they just get burnt up in an airlock unless you pay tens of thousands of dollars to bring them back down to Earth again. And we realized that those could all be classified as one thing, and that's a resource in space. You know, people recycle aluminium and metals and, and computer parts on Earth, but why doesn't that happen in space? And then we sort of explored this concept much more in depth, and we realized that, well, not just spare parts, but whole satellites are sort of underutilized at times. And we realized that if we could optimize that usage and provide easier user experience to actually access that data and the commodities coming from those satellites, you could actually drive a lot of growth in the industry. So there's all these satellites up there. Not all of them are selling their imagery and a lot of them have resources and they can't sell them. Have you found anyone having trouble trying to get through to a company that has the data they want? And is this one of the things you'll make easier? Yeah, so that's really typical, actually. Helping companies on Earth cut through the noise. So, you know, there are a lot of really, really amazing satellite imagery and data providers that already exist today. But what usually happens is for the customer, it takes many, many months to negotiate a supply contract with these companies. And you usually only can have, you know, have the time or budget to negotiate a handful of them. But there are literally hundreds of suppliers out there. And the problem with only negotiating a handful of contracts means that you don't get complete and full coverage of the earth all the time. And so by bridging this gap and networking all of these operators together, what you actually do is make it much easier for the customer to actually get the data that they need when they need it, rather than going through a whole bunch of contracts, negotiation, not knowing. That's a big part of the industry right now is just this knowledge arbitrage as well that's going on. And so we're really trying to solve all of those points. As someone from a legal background, sort of entering into the commercial space industry, it has been interesting to learn about the really onerous and complicated terms in a lot of the existing satellite contracts, essentially, satellite imagery data usage. And yes, I understand a lot of these things are required. I mean, everyone has to manage risk and things like that. 
But really, it is very hard to navigate and harder than it needs to be to navigate. And I feel like there is opportunity there to simplify this, which is what we're doing, and we're finding a lot of people responding very positively to that. People want to be able to focus on the use of this data without having to become legal experts themselves. And do you find there's companies that have resources in space that just haven't been able to get around to selling them because there's too many things in the way for them to have their own marketplace? Absolutely. Not so much companies, though, but maybe space agencies. So we've been speaking to a lot of different government organizations from around the world, from South America to Northern Europe, Africa, Asia. And most countries either have an organization, that, a commercial organization that sells satellite imagery and data and owns those satellites or has a space agency that does it for them. That's why there are so many spacecraft in orbit right now that can capture really useful data of the Earth. But a lot of them, we find, have trouble actually competing in a more sort of what's becoming more of a crowded market. You've got a lot more startups entering who are looking at sort of taking a slice out of this sort of earth imaging pie. And what we're finding is that it's becoming harder and harder for people to compete. And the user experience on the client side is becoming difficult as well. So we're trying to solve a lot of these problems by creating this API and this technology to sort of streamline access. So an API is an application programming interface? Yes, yes it is. And it's the backbone of our technology as well. So what we've done is we've created a whole bunch of back-end digital infrastructure that links all these satellites together and links these data sets together. And we make it accessible to people that have a bit of coding knowledge to integrate this data into new applications. So as Aaron mentioned before, you've got applications in agriculture, mining, forestry, insurance. Basically, there's almost a satellite application or a satellite data application for every industry is what we're finding. And slowly but surely, consumers are becoming to become really comfortable with adopting and utilizing this data as well. And so that's sort of what we're really trying to build out is a way to really build new types of services and products from this data that we're aggregating. What are some of the types of uses of satellite imagery that people are making at the moment that they might be able to do with an automated system like this? Well, having an automated system that allows you to select from a variety of different sensor types and different data sets you can access allows you to gain a more in-depth understanding. A lot of our existing, we have existing customers in the agricultural industry where they're simply only looking at plant health, but that you can also look at things such as the ground composition, soil moisture, and these things can start to deliver insights about a broader range of things than just the health of crops. We're seeing... The agriculture, mining, things like that are some more obvious use cases for satellite data, but we're seeing an increased interest from insurance companies, finance, even legal. A lot of people think of different ways to utilise these different insights that you can gain. So I guess if there's a lot of different data sources, people would normally, or corporations or whoever your clients turn out to be, would normally have to find out what's available and then choose one or two and negotiate with them, and that might take months or who knows how long. Whereas you've actually got a menu of them that you've already got deals with, so they can actually be creative about combining the data. Yeah, absolutely. So in the field of big data and data science in this industry, one of the biggest problems is just sort of data access, cleaning the data, making it available to people to use. And the same goes for space as well. So when you're talking about satellite imagery, which is another form of data, 
what we're trying to do basically is just streamline it, clean it, make it easy to use. So a developer can come and take this, this tool that we've built and just start plugging it in to create different kinds of new tools and new applications. And that's what we found as well. So we've been getting a lot of interest from different researchers, academics and corporations about how to integrate this data into their current workflows and decision-making processes, whilst at the same time also receiving a fair amount of interest for this API regarding new different types of satellite-based applications that people are wanting to build. For instance, we were speaking to a company just a couple of weeks ago that was based in, I think it was Denmark, and they were actually looking at using satellite imagery to assess the quality of ski slopes during ski season and then releasing that amongst other information such as like trail conditions and height for hikes and things like that all in this one application and selling that to resort owners and also allowing people to access that as well. I feel like this is a fundamental sort of demonstration of the current direction to try and democratise access to space, essentially. If we can put these capabilities in the hands of developers and people in general, they can't come up with ideas and solutions to problems that we can never imagine ourselves. And this wasn't traditionally available to people. So, yeah, we feel like this addresses one of the biggest needs in just allowing access to space. Yeah. So what was the award you won from UTS? So I think we, it was the, the most investable startup at UTS Startups. Basically, we've been part of UTS Startups for about a year now. So Aaron and I are both University of Technology Sydney alumni, and UTS Startups has been supporting UTS students, academics, researchers, to actually go out and build and commercialize technology or ideas that they have. And so they've been really kind and sort of supported us, given us office space, giving us access to world-class mentors and advisors, letting us win these awards. <laughs> and we've also been sort of lucky enough to receive awards early on in our company from Airbus as well. So the International Astronomical Congress, we won the startup pitching competition sponsored by Airbus, and we were lucky enough to afterwards fly to Toulouse and meet with a bunch of senior Airbus members to discuss more opportunities of working with them in the future. I guess it's just it's been encouraging the feedback we've received from people that see the merit in the concept and a little bit of recognition is always nice but ultimately we want to provide value to the industry essentially people who want to use this data. So do you think your API which will make it easy for people to include the data in their programming is that the sort of thing that you think high school programmers could possibly get into as a curriculum item? Absolutely. So our API, we want to make it super easy to access this kind of new and novel data set. And so the whole idea behind it is to make it really simple. Before, if you were a high school student and you wanted to play around with satellite data, it was impossible almost. Now we're incorporating a bunch of commercial satellite operators and their data sets, but we're also including some free data sets from NASA and ESA as well. So people can actually go use our API for free and start playing around with lower resolution, lower quality data to get their head around it and sort of sink their teeth into it and see what they can build out of it. To start creating applications with satellite imagery isn't super hard. There are tools like QGIS, for instance, that people can download for free. It's all open source and they can start manipulating satellite data, creating interesting maps, learning about our environment as well. And that's what people have been doing for ages and we really want to make that more commonplace. So how long have you been running this startup? Well, I came up with the idea for Alula in 2017 and we incorporated it in early 2018. And for the first maybe eight months to a year, we were really exploring a space industry. So it was very 
very interesting concept we had, which was making access to resources and space easier and more affordable. But what did that actually mean? We didn't know. We looked into the telecommunications industry for satellites. We looked into rocket launch industry as well, because ultimately all of those sort of, I guess, sub-industries inside the space industry are all in need of the sort of same concept that we're applying to the satellite imaging space, which is making those resources easier to access. And so about halfway through last year, we really struck upon the idea of making the data more accessible. And from there, we've been able to sign up a whole bunch of suppliers and new clients as well, who are really, really interested and supportive in our idea and our concept. And over the last maybe two to three months, we've started really developing out our first product, which is the API. And we want to roll that out by the end of August as well. Yeah, as Sebastian said, fundamentally the idea is to utilise underutilised capabilities in space. And we've explored a number of different industry verticals for that because surprisingly the space industry is quite a wasteful industry and we feel like there are opportunities there to improve that, improve efficiencies, things that wouldn't exist in other industries. People wouldn't waste as much as they can't afford to. With the industry changing, we feel like there are new opportunities and introducing sort of new business models to sort of achieve this. And one of the biggest things we chose to focus on, as Sebastian said, was the Earth observation industry because there's a growing number of use cases. It's, it's, it's basically a commodity already, and it's a really exciting time to be able to utilise this data and these insights to create a better planet, essentially. As I mentioned before, we're launching an API that will make the imagery much more accessible. And that API will be opening up the beta at the end of August this year, 2019. And we're hoping to get as many interested parties. If you're a developer, a person that runs analytics businesses or whoever, we'd love to have you signed up to the API if you're interested in utilizing satellite data and interesting in new ways. If you'd like, you could sign up at www.alula.com. And Alula is spelled A-R-L-U-L-A. Are there any restrictions on the programming languages that could access this API when it comes out? No, no real restrictions. The API will be a RESTful API and will be presenting out data in a JSON format. And so the core concept is that you will be able to use this API to query all of our data sets from all of our suppliers. It's almost like a Google search. And you search by inputting date and time, location, so the area you want to image, and then finally the type of resolution that you're after, very high, medium, or low. And from there, it will return a whole bunch of different images and data sets from a bunch of different suppliers. And then you basically submit and order the data that you want. And then we'll go and process that, and it's all automated, all on demand, and you'll receive your data shortly afterwards. Will you have like a little example Hello World program on there to show people how to use it? Uh, yes, absolutely. So we've been looking at other ways other industries are incorporating this digital technology and we've realised that the space industry has sort of really been lacking in that kind of digital transformation. And so what we're trying to do is sort of take concepts from there and absolutely sample code is a big thing. We want to include... so. You know, we want to make it almost as simple as sort of copying and pasting a little bit of code from Alula and allowing you to incorporate that onto, say, a WordPress site. And so we really want it to be simple to integrate and get you started accessing and using satellite data. Have you had any involvement with the Australian Space Agency? 
So absolutely, the Australian Space Agency has been helping us quite a lot, sort of guiding us as well, and a lot of other startups. They're very, very keen to support and help the Australian space startup ecosystem and grow it. And just as a startup, the Australian Space Agency is sort of one too, and so they're still growing and looking for ways to really help drive growth in this new ecosystem. Now is an exciting time to be getting involved in the, the commercial space industry because now you can utilise this technology without having to necessarily launch a rocket or create some new hardware. You can utilise this technology right now and create something valuable and interesting and new. And I think that's quite exciting. That was Sebastian Chowie and Aaron Salerno of Alula. You can find out more at alula.com. And that's all from us this week on Diffusion. Are you a scientist, artist, biohacker or maker who'd like to be interviewed about your work? Would your company like to sponsor Diffusion? Send your contributions, opinions, helpful suggestions and donations to science at diffusionradio.com. That's science at diffusionradio.com. Please like the Diffusion Science radio page on Facebook and rate the show on iTunes. Tell your friends. Follow me on Twitter at Ian Wolfe. The news music was Rhinos Theme by Kevin MacLeod of Incompetech.com. Listen next week for an interview with an exoplanetary scientist from the SETI Institute. I produce Diffusion, which is broadcast around Australia to 28 stations on the community radio network, including 2RBM in the Blue Mountains of New South Wales, 8CCC in Alice Springs and Tennant Creek, 2NVR in Nambucca Valley, 3MBR in the Mallee Border District of Victoria and South Australia, City Park Radio 7LTN in Launceston, Tasmania, 2XXFM in Canberra, and my local station, 2RDJ in Burwood, New South Wales. Diffusion is syndicated globally on the National Science Foundation's Science360 internet radio station, and also on astronomy.fm. Subscribe to the podcast on the Diffusion website, www.diffusionradio.com That's www.diffusionradio.com and check the website for links, photos and videos about this week's show. If you enjoyed the show, you can explore more than 950 previous episodes archived on diffusionradio.com where the shows are labelled by keywords so you can focus in on the stories you want to hear. Join my patrons at patreon.com slash diffusionradio Make a donation through paypal.me slash ianwolf. Subscribe to the Diffusion YouTube channel at youtube.com slash c slash diffusionradio. I'm Ian Wolf. Join us inside your audio device of choice for more science wondering next week on Diffusion Science Radio. Science is fun. It helps you to learn, to know and to appreciate. When you study science, you may go on field trips. You discover the marvelous interrelationships between all living things. You learn to read the history of the earth as it is written in rocks and fossils. You find out what makes things tick. Everything from a molecule to a living organism. In the study of science is found the most useful and satisfying knowledge of man. Knowledge of his physical world, its past, its present, and its future. And in your moments of relaxation, now and in the years to come, you will find the study of science leading you into fascinating pursuits. Photography. Collecting. Why study science? 
study science because you will find in the study of science a richer, more rewarding life.